Welcome to the Two Vets Talk Pets podcast, hosted by veterinarians Dr. Lewis Kirkham and Dr. Robbie Anderton, who'll give you the inside scoop on the secret lives of your pets and have a lighthearted look at the latest animal news, health tips, and other random facts. All names of people and pets have been changed for confidentiality, so if the story sounds familiar, don't flatter yourself. Every owner is just as animal crazy as you are. So sit down, place your furry, feathered, or scaly best friend on your lap, and it's over to Lewis and Robbie. Hello and welcome. This is episode 164 of the Two Vets Talk Pets podcast with too much talking to pets is barely enough. I'm Dr. Robbie, I'm Dr. Robbie Anderton, regardless of how badly I pronounce my name. And uh, I believe I'm joined by Dr. Lewis Kirkham, and I'm, I'm just going to pronounce his name correctly because I can't even get mine out properly. How are you going, mate? Good. Thanks, uh, Dr. Rodney Anderson. It's nice, yeah. to, uh, nice to join up with you today. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, it's, I, have, I do sometimes get people um, mistake me as, as, uh, as Rod. People have called me Roddy. Roddy, Roddy, do yeah, that? yeah, Roddy. yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I'm looking to try and speak with Roddy. Uh, do you mean Robbie? No, no. I'm pretty sure he said Roddy. No, no, no. It's Robbie, not Roddy. <laughs> Are they saying they're your best friend? Oh, good, good mates with Roddy. Absolutely, down, yes. Down the footy club, we're best yeah. mates. Yeah, yeah. The do. Nigerian prince. He's often, we, often emailing me about Roddy. We do the trivia night together. Uh, we're in the men's group together. Me and good mate Roddy. Yes. Yeah, no, that goes well. Yeah. How was your week? Buddy? He's, he's my fishing buddy, Roddy. Nice, nice, seamless, perfect. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, oh, well, you know what? What's what's better than being in Melbourne and being in lockdown, Lewis? Uh, lockdown six point oh, mate. Here we go. You know, yes. we're, we're back. I think we we were only out for a week. Seemed like it wasn't long. No, how lucky no, not... were we to get to Port Douglas? Eh? That was oh, nice. I absolutely threaded the needle mm. so finely. Yes. Like it's um, it just inside. We actually uh, ordered some beer from uh, Hemingway's Brewery up in Port oh, Douglas. I enjoyed had, it. Yes, had that delivered during the week. I mean, a couple of the other dads that were up there, we've uh, uh, gone and bought ourselves uh, a, a few slabs. So we're uh, we're going to be uh, drinking it and reminiscing what it was like, you know, being up in the warm, free, you know, crocodiles. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, it was good. And uh, so what's happened this week, mate? You just, I hear you got update on the, uh, just a quick update on the interspecine toxicity. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So um, listeners will remember that we've had uh, over the last month or so, we've been talking about the interspecine toxicities that we've been seeing or the, the acute liver failures um, that we've been seeing in dogs here in Melbourne that's been traced back to uh, meat sourced from a, uh, a, a knackery in Mafra in Gippsland. Um, and and I actually had a case at, um, at the Waverley Animal Hospital, an old dog that um, had been fed some meat that had been sourced uh, originally from the uh, uh, from that knackery in Mafra and uh, the dog unfortunately got sick and passed away and so we submitted samples for uh, sampling histopathology and we actually were able to get two samples of meat as well from the uh, from the owner the owner had purchased the um, the the bulk uh, fresh meat and had frozen it. So we actually had two, uh, two samples of the meat there. So that went wow. off uh, for testing. Um, and it came back as uh, like the dog serum came back as very highly positive for indespecine toxin. Mm. Um, and interestingly, both meat uh, samples came back as hot as uh, positive for indespecine. One was 
huge. Um, you know the the numbers, you know, the numbers are meaningless to our listeners. High, high, high levels. The, which, and that was the one that was the older bag that was purchased towards the end of June. The one that was purchased in the first week of July had much lower levels. But the thing that was very interesting with it was the uh, that they did testing on the source of the meat that was in there, and they found beef, they found kangaroo, and they found horse <gasps> meat in those three samples and wow yeah so um and the the owner purchased it thinking that it was uh, that it was diced beef um but they the tests showed that there was three types of meat that were in there and so that was through a uh through the lab testing that was done oh wow so it wasn't a wasn't like a turducken sort of scenario the way she knew she was getting a combo of meats it was was labeled as beef yeah. It was it was yeah la- labeled labeled as diced diced beef pet mm. beef so so that's the th- that's what we've been so so that's you know what we've been talking about and alluding to over the last couple of weeks is that if you're feeding pet meat from uh, yeah, that that's not human grade pet food companies are under no obligation to actually have in there what they say they have to have in there in Australia. There's no, there's mm-hmm. no regulation to say that you need to do it. I was thinking about how we could um, describe it today because um, you shared with me the, uh, the post from a, a vet out in Gippsland trying to, uh, uh, who, who was trying to back up the, the knackery and saying, look, they do a great job and it's a really important, which we have said, you know, that it is mm. yeah, knackeries do do important jobs in our, our regional centers to try and help with uh, you know, controlling bodies and things like that, or, you know, carcasses of dead animals. Waste disposal. Um, yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, and, and they need to make a living. And one of the ways they make a living is by putting that meat um, into, into pet food, you know, for better or mm. worse, that's what they mm. do. But, you know, because there's no obligation for them to have to say that it's only beef in the beef meat and it's only kangaroo in the kangaroo meat, you can kind of get away with whatever you want, you know, uh, and as has been identified by this and the fact that both bags bought at separate times um, had and having different levels of indispocene in there. So, yes, you can get into, you know, or does that mean that the bag that was in there for longer has, you know, uh, uh, that, or, or no, actually, because they, the one that was in there for longer, that you would have thought that endospecine, if it was going to deteriorate, that it would have deteriorated mm. itself. It was actually the newer one that had only just been frozen that had the lower levels. So mm. anyway, so in, unless unless you know that you're getting human grade quality meat of where it has to be there. I, and I was thinking of that. That's what I was going to say. I was thinking about a, an example. It'd be like you go to a, um, a large multinational fast food chain and you go and you purchase um, you know, chicken nuggets. Or Ikea, maybe. I, Ikea? So you go and – well, we won't name names just in case because, you know, I'm sure they're, Ikea, they're, they're, they're lawyers. Meatballs. Well, meatballs you could, at you, Ikea, weren't they? You could get meatballs at Ikea, yes. Yeah, I don't Wasn't think that, that a bit of an issue? I, I, I don't think there was um, an, an obvious descriptor there of what the – of what meat was in the meatball it was it was certainly a ball that was made of meat but they didn't disclose what right. animal assumptions would be made of what most people would put in their meatballs but maybe some mm. swedes used different you know anyway. um so say you say you've gone to another multinational you know food chain and you've gone to get mcdowell's mcdowell's, McDowell's. yeah McDowell's. with your soul <laughs> coming Hello to america to coming to america watches out there yes um, 
so you go and get um get chicken nuggets, but you find out that actually there's not chicken's not in the nuggets. It might be turkey. It might mm. be pheasant. It could even be rabbit. Why not? You know, some white meat. But if you've gone and purchased it as being chicken nuggets, well, then you would assume that it is going to be chicken nuggets. Some portion the, of chicken in there, yes. Well, uh, well, it, unless, it, unless there's an asterisk down there that says, hang on, this is, you know, but, you know contains at least 30% chicken. We go, oh, what's the other 70%? So anyway, so that's a very, a very, you know, poor analogy of you get what if you, in humans, they have to provide yeah, what there's regulation. they say, but yeah. in pet food, there's not. So if you're going to uh, feed your animals, dog or cat or, you know, guinea pig or whatever, I wouldn't recommend feeding your guinea pig meat because they're generally herbivorous. Um, unless it's a rabid guinea pig, uh, you, you're taking it in your own hands if you're not feeding a human grade meat and that's going to be expensive so yes what you make and and there's ethics involved with that but i think i think it's interesting that that you sort of flags what you said there is this person's got two packages of meat that they've bought at different times from wherever they bought it from and both packets of meat several weeks apart contain not what it says on the label so this is not to me would not indicate it's a case of there was one package of meat that was contaminated accidentally with some horse or something like that. It, it does indicate to me that it's a bit more long-standing than that. It's, it's over a couple of weeks that it's, yeah. it's, it's probably not the same batch. I wouldn't have thought, yeah. but I and don't it, know. Yeah. It doesn't say that it doesn't say what proportion of what meat is, is, is in there. They've sure. only just tested it and found that there are traces of those, those three yeah. animals. That but the interesting in thing is, is that, is the percent the the from the what you showed me one had really really high end of spacine in it yes which potentially could indicate one batch if it came from horses of horse yeah and then the next batch is a different potentially horse because it's got a lower level much lower level end of spacine it that's what you could perhaps some uh, surmise infer. yeah, yeah infer yeah. perhaps yeah. so it- maybe would indicate that it's not just a one unfortunately contaminate a batch of that had horse meat in or kangaroo in it or whatever it might be. So yeah, it certainly mm. opens more questions anyway, you know, yeah. if, the, if the, um, you know, we're not, you know, from, from a legal point of view, we're not, uh, you know, making any, uh, you know, outlandish claims. We are only reporting the facts and the facts yes. are that, um, but, but yeah, yeah, you know, so again, once again, interesting. I mean, I was, I was saying to um, another client because now obviously any dog that comes in, that's, um, that, that's unwell. Do you feed it raw meat? Where do you mm. get it from? Um, and I was saying, look, I've had a, I've had a case, and I, I flat out did not think that my clients were going to have any issues with it. But as it turns out, it has. And um, I do, like, I'm, I'm still trying to, uh, trying to say to people, you know, find out where that meat, where, where your pet meat has been coming from. Because if there's any doubt, we'll start testing because the, what we don't know is uh, there's got to have been more dogs than just these ones that have gotten mm. sick. So, you know, the, the big questions now that, are, that I think we're going to have to answer going forward is, does the endospecine then stay permanently in the dog's body? And yeah. does it lead to chronic low-grade liver disease, like what we would see or, with um, copper or, toxicity in Bellington or, Terriers? Or what's known in the industry as long endospecine toxicity. 
Long indus persistent yes, toxicity. There yes, you go. Like, like yep. your long COVID. There's a long, long COVID. Yeah. Long indus persistent. Pretty sure. Long, long indotox. I think we can <laughs> we can uh, we can shorten it up to because you've always had trouble talking about indus persistent. So yeah. So we did have we'd have a suspected case uh, during the week as well that uh, had eaten some of the um, some of the products from um, I think it was from EcoPet, um, some of the uh, raw kangaroo. Right. Uh, meat. And so they were concerned had been off to another place and they came to see us, but you know, we had some gastro signs and they were uh, sort of want to follow up with us, you know, so we did a blood test and thankfully liver enzymes were all normal. Oh, uh, cool. I think we're, we're doing another blood test, you know, in uh, sort of two weeks time, just to follow up and make sure that there's nothing yeah. else. So, so good. If, yeah. I mean, good idea that if, if you are concerned and you think, you know, you, your pet might've got some of that, that meat, certainly go to your vet, have a chat to them, run a blood test. Um, just check that, that your liver seems okay. And, and, and talk to your vet about it. Certainly. Yes. Um, and, and cause the, um, I don't know, like the, the indispersine serum assay that was done on this dog was run at a special lab up in Queensland. Um, I don't know how commercially available it is. That was one that was organised for us through yeah. the Department of Ag here in Victoria. But well, yeah. well, I think you do a basic test of just looking at the liver enzymes, you know, some, some yeah. change in liver enzymes. And if there's not, well, you kind of would hope that it's going to be okay. Maybe check it again couple yeah. of weeks time so yeah. interesting other another case i had during during the week mate i don't know we talked about it in the on the podcast before but at, at one of our local parks the i think it's the local men's shed group put a little box in the park um that they'd made at the men's shed and and with the um you know the little hot hot rod they put on it uh burned into its stick library so, right. so the idea was the, uh, and I'd seen it in the park and there's not much I could do about it um, apart from put a, I mean, yeah, a, yeah, a business a, card there. Business card the right next yeah, to it. Sounds, yeah, sounds like yeah, a great local idea. local emergency centre. Yes. And so basically the idea is, you know, you get a stick and play with your dog with the stick and then you put it back in the stick library for the next people to to use. Uh, it was a little post this week, uh, some local, somebody unfortunately grabbed a stick out of the the stick library and their dog had impaled themselves on the stick and uh, had to have, uh, yeah, in its mouth, a big, big cut, cut in its mouth and that sort of thing. And, and their post was someone's put small sticks in the stick library. And so it was because they were thin, small sticks that there was a problem. And we would say that it's the stick. The stick is the issue. Problem. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so there was a bit of chat about, let's change it to a ball library. I thought, well, balls may be better. Yes, possibly. But yeah. You know, and so, yeah, interesting. That, yeah, if you've got a stick library at your local park and you, you can get rid of it, we don't like dogs playing with sticks. They they either run um, and and they impale themselves on it when, when the stick sort of lands, or they they get stuck in the mouth, or that gets cut. This dog obviously run and Break got stuck in the ground, things, yeah. and then inhaled the you know uh, gone oh. down the back of its throat and just yeah just terrible. So little shout out there. Yeah, no, please don't play with sticks yeah. with your dog. It's it's a common thing. Use it. Uh, I don't know. Use a a uh, a rope toy or something like that. If you want yeah. to throw something or a ball or you know or a, yeah something that's that's not going to impale it's, them. Sticks for sticks sticks grow on trees, Lewis. They're so cheap. They're so ubiquitous. Yeah. Um, no, I I I we had a um I, people sometimes go oh yeah it's it's okay for dogs to chase sticks, aren't it? Is it? Oh no, no, I can't recommend that. I can't. Mm. Is it? It's the same as with um chewing bones. Yeah, as I look. Oh, can I feed my dog's yes. bones? Look, I can't tell you to feed your dog bones because if your dog breaks its tooth, well, that's on me. You know, mm. that's my fault. I can't mm. t- say to you, it's okay for your dog to chew a stick because when it tries to pole vault over itself, you know, when it's mm. when it jams it into the back of its throat, it snaps off and it's got to go and have a $4,000 surgery to try and remove the bone from the back of its throat. 
That's on mm. me. No, yeah, I say don't yeah. use the don't use the bone. I don't use the bone. Don't use sticks. Well, the thing, yeah, I think the bone stuff. I mean, I just give people the the risks. I mean, yeah, they say should I feed bones? I say no, but yeah. then I say this is my reason why, and I mean it's up to them what what they want to do really. So absolutely, um, I can't you can't. And same same with the six, I suppose. But uh, just uh, highlights that it's something that we do see commonly. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I, I would have loved to have got rid of the stick library, but, you know, really sort of out of our hands. It's not, yep. it's a lovely, so, so called lovely gesture from the local uh, yeah, men's men shed. It's a great idea, but uh, mm. yeah, not necessarily. They should have contacted the two vets talk vets podcast list to see about the appropriateness. Yes. Of it. Maybe you know, I'll take the hot iron and just like stamp that psh, psh, on there as well. Talk pets, yeah. nice. Episode, episode 164. Listen up. Excellent. Hey, now, yeah. um, can I ask you a question? What, yeah. What's your go-to appetite stimulant for dogs? Oh, for dogs. Uh, yeah. Ooh, there's not a lot out, really. Um, I'll normally look at a nausea product, perhaps, if there's yeah. a nausea component. I haven't really. I know there's one in the States that's, uh, that's not out here yet called right. uh, something starting with Z, I think it is. Anyway, uh, yeah. there is, there's, there's one in the States that is right. apparently amazing. Well, I've yeah. got I've got one here in Parkdale that will revolutionise um, the the world of canine appetite stimulation. Um, so Rosie had her um, had her chemo last week, and yep. you know it's doxorubicin, so it's one that knocks her around a little bit, puts her yep. off her food. And um, I tell you what, the best way of trying to motivate her to eat is a little tabby cat called Parker. So um, so Parker, oh, hang been, on. Social facilitation, are you saying, Robbie? Oh, mate, you call it what you want. I'm calling it. Fe- <laughs> I'm, I'm talking. I'm calling it canine appetite stimulation using a feline decoy. So, um, so we'll have Rosie's food there, and because Parker decides he wants to run over and have a little sniff at it and have a little try, and Rosie just jumps up from a bit of get out of the way, and then she'll start eating it, and then she'll go walk away again, and then Parker will come back over and say, whoa, get over, get out of the way. So right. it's been a very, a very um, good way of being able to uh, stimulate her to eat while she's been feeling a bit fun, funny in the tumbly. Well, it's interesting you say that because I do use that in a concert room a little bit. So I have two dogs come into the concert room, one uh, from the same family, obviously one, uh, one my dad be a little bit nervous than the other one. And so you try and sort of feeding treats to perhaps the nervous one. It doesn't want to take it, but then, you know, I know that if I feed treats to the one that's not nervous, that'll often get the other one to go, Oh, hang on. I'm missing out on something here. Oh, you know? yeah. oh, what's going on. And, and I'll also do it when they're on the table. So I'll put the, the confident, more confident dog on the table first to examine. Yeah. And I'll feed some treats to the one on the table, visible to the one on the ground. That's a bit nervous. And they'll be like, hang on. And what am I start, missing out on here? Then, then I start dropping some treats on the ground. And that often, you know, encourages the, the, uh, the eating of the treats and the, the counter conditioning sort of stuff. So, so that's certainly, yeah, I do use that a little bit in concept, mate. Yeah. Have to there you go. Yeah. There you go. And that, and that doesn't start with Z and it's not available just in America. It is available anywhere, Lewis. Well, well the Z one is actually called entice. Nice name. And 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 Zentice, is it? Yeah, no, Entice. E-N-T-Y-C-E. So All right, what's in it? Uh do you really want to know? No, not really. Uh because there's obviously um, one you can't pronounce. It's um got dog feces in it, just encourages your coprophagia. Yeah, yeah, they love eating their Perfect. own. No. <laughs> no. Capro ca- uh, Capro Maryland oral there solution. You go. Yeah, nice. of course it is. Knew that. So, so there you go. But yeah, great, mate. 
Oh, I actually had a um uh, had had someone bring their puppy in um to see me yesterday. A new client, a oh, sixteen week old or seventeen week old puppy. Uh, yeah. Now look, it's eat, eating its own poo, you know. And I think there's something wrong with it. It's just a dog. It just likes to eat poo. It sees itself as just being a a, a non-stop treat forming machine. You know, nice. it's uh, you know, we won't, we don't, we don't think that we would do it because we wouldn't. But a dog is has no such compulsion. So, you know, gave us some ideas of what to do. But I said, no, look, there's nothing wrong with your dog. It's just a dog, and it just likes eating poo. Yeah, but anyway, we do know a product that starts with Z. That's not related to poo. Fantastic, don't we? No, no, it's 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 so it's so for, far away from poo. It's uh, it's, it's not funny. Zilkeen. Great, know? great. Zilkeen. Uh, Great product for, for perhaps that anxious dog in the consult room that won't eat the treats. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, mild anxiety, lowering medication. Um, it's made, It comes from milk, milk derivatives, so very safe. Uh, rarely ever see side effects from it. Um, and uh, and we use it every week at the clinic, don't we? Yeah. Comes comes in three convenient sizes. Yeah, you know, the big big dog, the the, the middle sized dog, and then the small cat. But uh, I have been known, Lewis, that if it's a multi cat household, to maybe use the border collie flavored one, and I just get the owners to uh, split it into thirds. Yes, you know, I, I do say, look, you might want to draw the curtains though, so the neighbours don't see you trying to split the white powder. And then, yeah, you know, it's up to you if you want to do it on a mirror with a credit card. And uh, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend putting it on the hundred dollar note into the uh, into the cat's food because yeah, that's uh, that's just taking things a bit too far. It's very good yeah exactly so no good stuff it's um it's really good for those sort of mild anxiety stuff uh, that, that we see uh in the clinic every day and also a big thank you to delicate care our um the australian owned australian made uh food a sponsor they've got some great products they've got the dental skin and stomach for the dogs mobility support uh even weight management for those dogs that need to perhaps they're eating too much they've they've uh, been following the cat around too much and fighting the cat for the food so um so yeah some excellent food there and then in the cat they've got uh they've got uh some um some great skin and stomach um and dental as well for for the yes so go and and check it out and one of the things that uh that that we always stress about with delicate care is is how careful they are with the products that they put in and also um the 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 way that it's made like they they have spent millions and millions and millions of dollars on their plant and they're what they use to create the food most of what they make in the factory actually goes out for export so so what you're getting is you're getting uh food that is made in an export quality uh, uh establishment but using as much Australian ingredients as possible for the Australian market. So delicate yep. care and also cherish, which is their, uh, their pet um, pet store uh, version uh, are all available. So, uh, so get online and check it out uh, and see whether or not it might be good for your dog or cat. Excellent. And also big thank you to our Patreon supporters. You guys uh, help us to keep the, um, keep the lights on, keep the uh, subscriptions active and, uh, and enable us to get to, uh, to get to recording every week. So Absolutely. What- thank you very much, guys. Find us at patreon.com, search for two vets talk pets. Yeah, excellent. Now, what's been the news this week, mate? Okay, so I'm just um, just going to grab my newspaper right here, mate, because nice. as I was uh, sitting down having my Saturday morning sabbatical before going out to uh, to work, I was reading in the in the Olympic Games uh, sports section. So here we go, two vets talk pets sport edition, um, and I saw in the uh, in the games in brief section, uh, sumo gone in the equestrian. Now, where just as a, as an aside, where do you stand with an with equestrian as an Olympic event? Oh, I, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan. I, I, must no. admit, I have trouble uh, uh, sort of appreciating it probably because I've 
don't ride horses myself, maybe. Yeah, I'm yeah. the same. I'm the same. I think the the, the whole clippy cloppy horse thing is not necessarily uh, I see as being a, being a, an Olympic style event. Different. So so um um uh, Mr. Hoy, who's been to you know eight different Olympics or whatever, who's mm. you know just won a silver and bronze medal again. I was saying to the kids because Camille said, "Daddy, I want to watch the equestrian." I go, "Dude, I hate the equestrian." Um, Camille's in the background said, "I'd never said that." So there we go. <laughs> um, so, well, just for this, for the sake of the podcast, yeah. Um, I said, "Look, I, it'd be different if you know the the sixty three year old man was carrying the horse around on his yes. back and, and jumping over the that is that's an Olympic a, event." Yes, that's right. You know, and getting the horse to sit still on his back. Well, he's doing, doing the sideways clippy cloppy clippy yeah, cloppy. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I reckon if the, what the horse does, the rider has to has to follow suit. Fast to do it next. Yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely. And exactly. I've never seen them once put the medal around around the horse's neck. Not once. No, you know? no that's true. What's going but anyway, on there? Shout out to so, all our equestrian Olympians that are listening. Right. If you're listening, Greg, well done. Greg Hoy? No, that's Andrew the Hoy? surgeon. Andrew Hoy. Greg Hoy Andrew is the Hoy. person that operated on my shoulder. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now he's over in the Olympics doing yeah. clippy cloppy horse stuff. Mm. So, um, so this is in the equestrian. A sumo wrestler that may have spooked the horses has been knocked out of the Olympic equestrian ring. The statue and a nearby patch of cherry trees that riders thought might be startling the animals during the individual jumping event were among the obstacles swapped out for the start of the team competition last night. Officials say designer Santiago Varela, sounds a very Japanese name, (laughs) had planned on removing the sumo wrestler even before riders said the life-sized rikishi might be rankling their animals. The hurdle was located right after a sharp turn and the wrestlers wedged back Backside was the first thing in sight for horse and human. Now I'm just wondering, Lewis, whether or not in your little boffin, um, you know, brain session that you get together with all your behaviour mates, has there been any talk about uh, wedged bottoms and the uh, the effect on the psyches of um, the animals in general or horses in particular or their uh, or their riders? Well, we all know horses are very easily spooked, aren't they? So I'm sure. Uh, a sumo wrestler statue bending down to pick up a, a couple of cherries that have fallen from the trees nearby. Yes. I can definitely see that as a, actually someone who is big on uh, on uh, that sort of thing, particularly with cows going through races and runs. Temple Grandin, very big in the behaviour aspect of of being able to. She's um I think she's diagnosed with uh don't know, with a uh I think she might be on the spectrum or something like that. Not sure exactly, but she was excellent at being able to walk through the race uh that that um that cows or sheep would walk through and go oh they're going to be spooked by that dangly chain just on the side of the gate there over there and they're not going to go through and she'd be correct every time or they're going to see that little puddle on the ground and go that's that's a mirror i can't oh yeah that's a hole in the ground i can't walk over that and she she was very good so i wonder if they called on her as a as a bit of an expert because you would have thought that somebody would have gone around, maybe even just a pantomime horse around the uh, the equestrian jumping uh, track first, and that and that the first one would have gone, "Holy Jesus, a big wedgie bottom in the way," and then he well, falls through the hurdle. Well, maybe they got Andrew and another person, like one was the head, and one was the the bum of the horse, you know, yes. cover them up, and they'd go, you know, clippity clop, clippity clop, clippity clop, and they woo. Reared up, yeah. and when they seen it, it was all over. They had to get rid of the 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 bending over the sumo. 
Well, and we, I think we actually spoke about this during the, um, the the spring carnival last year, which again, as we've said, we're not necessarily all that big of fans of, but mm. um, maybe that could be the, um, the, the new way of trying to bring in the equestrian is that we actually done it on a pantomime horse. <laughs> it's very nice. Why not? Very nice. Why not? Yes, a pantomime so. horse, you know, and then and then Andrew Hoy, you know, because his bones will be getting a bit light and brittle by then. He can jump on the back and start, you know, doing the clippy cloppy on the back of uh, on the back of the panto horse, and then you know, just say, look, don't forget, boys, the big sumo wrestler bum just around the corner. So uh, don't be startled by it. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Mate. yeah. No, um, great. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. So that's, that's right. Quite a, it's gritty. Gritty. That's, that's definitely very, very gritty. Very gritty, isn't it? Now, now oh, speak. Oh, yes, go. Yeah. Yeah, I've got an article that's perhaps not as well. Is it's it's certainly not as frivol- frivolous perhaps as uh, as some of the other stuff we've been okay, talking try, about. Trying to put the serious pants on. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. I mean, this is about a. Um, uh, unfortunately, uh, it's on the twenty fifth of June, so a couple a couple of weeks ago, um, where unfortunately a five week old baby um, has been mauled um, yeah. to death from a. Um, uh, from a dog, uh, from a staffy up in the central coast, uh, New South Wales, somewhere. Um, a vicious dog that mauled a five-week-old baby to death while his parents slept should never have been near the infant. It viewed as prey, canine experts say. The six-year-old American Staffordshire Terry killed the little boy in his home in Kuryong on the New South Wales central coast in the early hours of Sunday morning. Paramedics arrived at the scene about 2.18am, but the infant could not be revived. The family pet was euthanized day later. days later. Dog experts warn such powerful dogs should never be within three meters of a child under 14. And I've never sort of heard of that kind of ring before, but certainly for me, it is about active supervision. And, Mm. you know, I've talked about this before and it's obviously a big part of, um, you know, my life, particularly with the the couple of books that that I've sort of written about babies and, and, and dogs and cats, certainly as far as dogs goes, it is about, supervision mm. um, and active supervision um you know i usually say um you know up to up to kids that are perhaps old enough to be out across the road on their own a busy road a highway on their own or uh maybe they're old enough that you allow them to brush their teeth on their own maybe there's some good ideas of maturity in uh in in when they should be perhaps they may be okay to be um yeah. to be to be around and dogs um without active super, yeah. active supervision yeah um anyway it goes on i mean it's a horrible horrible thing and i don't want to go into it into it too much but it was sort of um uh, you know there was a little bit about however they insisted uh these are experts insisted specific dog breeds like staffies were not inherently dangerous instead saying individual dogs were um were often you know, it's an individual dog problem, which we said, you know, said, I've said lots of times, I feel it's, it's, um, it's a dog deed, not the breed mm. definitely. Um, and, uh, and then they, the article does sort of say it's from the, I don't know, it's from Sultan.cz. I don't know what that, that paper is, but that's, that's the website. This is despite some types of dogs being bred to hunt and kill and being overrepresented in fatal attacks, prompting calls to ban them. Now, it isn't really an overrepresentation of certain breeds in fatal attacks. It does seem to be the breeds. Well, certainly with dog bites to children, it's actually the breed that's most popular at the time. Mm. So if your community is full of um, uh, like ours, French bulldogs, yeah. potentially French bulldogs will be more represented or, you know, or oodles, you know, that yeah. we've got lots of oodles in our area. They will be overrepresented with, um, with, with bites towards children. But the thing that sort of red flagged a lot was, um, I follow a Facebook group and it's a fantastic group if you want to get on board and follow from uh, called Reisner 
um, vet behaviour from Alana Reisner over in over in the states. And um, there was a little bit in the article uh, that, if I can find it, where an expert came on board um, saying uh, vet another dog expert Nathan Williams from t- training company Dog Behaviour behavioral specialist told daily mail australia that humans often teach canines to kill by playing games like tug of war with them dogs um and this is what he quote he's quoted saying dogs aren't meant to have toys they've only been around i think this is toys have only been around for 40 to 50 years and we now have more problems than we've ever had before he said when dogs use their mouths on something non-protein based they learn that it's okay to do that with other objects Tug of war is violent and riles the dogs up. So we're teaching them that that's okay. And that really, I thought that's interesting. It's a, it's a, it's a very, very, yeah. Um, uh, acute I've ne- view. Yeah. I've, I've never heard this and, and, um, and it was flagged to through this rise in a vet behavior group. And she, she sort of, there, there's a few things in the article, not quite right, but that really red flagged heavily. So playing tug with your, so this is what um, Ilna, Ilana Reisner says um playing tug with your dog will no more teach him to kill than playing fetch will teach him to knit (laughs) i like it i like where this is going this is good that's ridiculous a few thoughts to rebut the trainer's comments a little further number one dogs tug naturally not only that, but many will solicit co-mouthing with other dogs by shoving objects into their faces. So I've all seen that before. The dog's got the rope toy or the, the fluffy Urgh, teddy and show it to the other dog. And then they uh, they go out together and they have, you know, um, you know mutual pulling. Yeah. Mutual pulling then ensues. Play is a necessary and naturally driven behavior and is needed to practice social skills and give and take. Exactly the same with, with young kids as well. Yeah. Some of the practice is also predatory, of course, but dogs are perfectly capable of killing prey without being educated in tug play. So there are plenty of dogs that can go and kill small animals and they've never had a tug toy in their life. So yes. yeah. they, it, that's an instinct, which is very different from, from, uh, from learning, from tugging, playing yeah. uh, tug. Number two, he says, uh, this Nathan Williams says, dogs aren't meant to have toys. She says, what does, what does that even mean? As far as, uh, casting some shade. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. yeah. As far, yeah, well, she's right into it. As far as uh, um, f- saying, there's only been forty to fifty years of toydom. So yeah. toys have only been around for forty to fifty years. She said the Nyla bone has been around for sixty-six years. Oh, so she's not so where he's where he's got that idea. But dog people have been fashioning toys for their companions for as long as dogs have lain around the campfire, their campfires. And yes, it's perfectly cool for dogs to put their mouths on non-protein-based objects. And then she goes, "Here's a cool early 19th century Italian statuette of a dog playing with a toy." <laughs> And she sends a link for that. I thought that's fantastic. That's it's, we might put that on the on the socials. Number three. <laughs> Tug of war can roll dogs up, roll dogs up, but the play can be well controlled by ensuring that the tug toy is played with specific tug dedicated toys like a braided fleece or rope toy by teaching the dog to let go of the toy on cue by using a food or a different toy with the cue, e.g. drop it, then just using the cue. 
Of course, dropping the toy can be reinforced by giving the toy back and playing some more. And finally, the play should be stopped if the dog's mouth lands on human skin or clothing. So that's what yep. I always say. If you're playing, you know, um, and often with puppies, they like to mouth a lot. And yes. you, know, you give them a big tug toy, they're allowed to mouth. But if then it does, you do feel teeth on your hands or your clothing, then instantly, you know, game's the, over. The, yep. the, the, the tug and stops and um Tug is an awesome game for redirecting excited dogs' energy, such as the end of a good, clean agility run or for distracting a restless young dog who needs to wait her turn in training class. The original story, of course, has absolutely nothing to do with playing tug. Safety practices with infants and dogs must include strict separation unless the dog is well-controlled, leashed, or verbally, and never, ever leaving them alone together. But suggesting that play can teach dogs to kill is over the top and diverts attention from more important and rational practices, such as what I always say, separation and active supervision. So really, yeah, interesting again how, you know, and what what is a a very horrible situation and you can get a few experts or an expert to comment and really just, just change the whole focus of it. And can you just uh, yeah re- repeat what the name of his uh, group is that he's in as well? What the what the yeah. the group is called himself? Well, his his business is is uh, what are we dog? Oh, I better get this right. Dog behavioral specialist is his training company. There you go. See yeah. now, you or I, we can't call ourselves specialist in nothing because yeah. we're registered vets. But he can he can call himself whatever he likes because he's under no. Yeah, he's, he's legislation. under no jurisdictional uh, restriction. There's no legislation, just like the the pet food. Yeah, correct, correct. You know, the yeah. uh, the raw meat. So yeah, yeah, there's he can he can call himself whatever he's like, and and um, he would say like he's a, a dog. Ba- he's a he's a dog behavior specialist, exactly. So yeah. so there you go. So yeah, if you um yeah, just um interesting how a story can just just go in the wrong direction. Yeah, talk to yeah, talk yeah. to perhaps uh, get the wrong opinion. And I'm especially after the men shed uh, comment earlier. I'm I'm surprised now that um, that those those gentlemen have obviously found a found a way to try and teach these dogs out in the the Port Melbourne Park on how to try and knit. Like this is their uh, this is their start here. They're trying to work out ways of trying to get um you know all those oodles and French bulldogs to start crocheting. Would you think maybe the men's shed and the local CWA, the Country Women's Association, they could they could team up together and perhaps have the stick library, but turn it into a knitting library? Yes. So the the, the women put you know the balls of yarn in there. Yes. Not yes. for cats to play with. Sorry, no, not at all. Not yet, at all. No. And they could then have you know classes where they're trying to teach the dogs not to fetch but to knit. Yes, yeah, trying to how to do how to do the overlay and the yeah. and the finger stick, all that all that sort of gear. Yeah, no, it's definitely. Interesting. It's interesting. Uh, my youngest is actually she's got a class where she's got to knit, knit a square, um, and I I didn't. My grandma actually taught me to knit, so I do know a little bit how to knit. I find it. Oh, a little, there we go. A little bit go, therapeutic. Yes. So I'm I'm sitting at night now trying to teach my daughter to to knit, and I now realise why my grandma taught me. Because it is very, very teaches you a lot of patience, <laughs> how to be patient and how to, when you get it wrong, just go right up, move on to the next bit. Got to take it back. 
it's very, very good with patience because the craft rage is real in our house at the moment. <laughs> Let me tell you, mate, it is, it is real. And for once, it's craft not coming rage. from craft rage, mate. I've always yeah. wondered where, whenever I go past a spotlight or a Lincraft, there's so many people with just dilated pupils and bloodshot eyes, and just there's, you know, I mean, it's you, you think it's going to be the people around, you know, around uh, the car places that are going to have that real homicidal look, but no, no, the it's, the, it's the people the craft rage. Oh, when, wow. The craft rage when it doesn't go exactly how you want it to go that's called craft rage definitely it's it's a thing it's a thing anyway speaking of raging i've got an article another article that uh it's about uh, a study on cats being patted to to avoid hostility and increase their infection oh i like it yeah this is a great uh um it's in fizz.org um and the original if you want to go and check out the, the original paper, it's in Frontiers in Veterinary Science. Um, and it's a uh, long title is Providing Humans with Practical Best Practice Handling Guidelines During Human Cat Interactions Increases Cat's Affiliate Behavior and Reduces Aggression and Signs of Conflict. So, how to pet your cat so you don't have craft rage. <laughs> Pretty cat much. Craft rage. Yeah. Cat, 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 cat rage. rage. Cat, cat rage. rage. So, and it's by Camilla Haywood et al. But essentially, it's, it's uh, experts in feline behavior and welfare at Nottingham Trent University found that paying close attention to cats' behavior and body language and thinking about where to stroke them were key when improving interactions between cats and people. They developed a simple set of interaction guidelines and found that when these were followed, cats were significantly less likely to behave aggressively towards people and were also more affectionate. Nottingham Trent's University, Dr. Lauren Finker, the lead researcher on the study, worked in collaboration with leading animal welfare charity Battersea to develop the guidance for owners and cattery staff to address the fact that many people struggle to recognise when cats might not enjoy being petted. <laughs> the guidance and advice follows a simple CAT, C-A-T acronym. Oh, I see. Yes. Oh. Uh, that's an easy one. This is an easy so one. easy. Yeah. Yeah. This is easy. That encourages people to provide the cat with choice and control, yep. which is the C. C, yes. Choice and control. Pay attention, the A, the A, yep. To the cat's behavior and body language and think about where they are touching the cat. Okay. Touching. T, T touching. So, so, yep. so we've got uh, choice and control. Choice and control. Attention, attention. and touching. Attention Cat. touching. Yes. Cats don't right. have a reputation reputation being the most tactile of creatures. With several studies suggesting that aggression towards people isn't uncommon, particularly during social interactions between cats and their owners. In one such study, cat aggression was reported by almost half of owners. And it's interesting. I had a had a did have a consult this week with a a um a lovely, lovely lady owner who was uh, who lived on her own and she's a little bit older and taken on a cat. Um, that have been living under a house. Um, and it was a really, really nice cat, but sort of cat when uh, I sort of started examining and I thought, oh, it's very close to getting upset with me mm. on the consult table here. And you sort of thought, 
you know, and, and the owner said, oh, no, lovely cat. You know, it hadn't given me any inkling at all. And then, you know, a bit of an examination. I thought this cat's not enjoying this so much. And and then uh, and then we did uh, eventually gave a vaccination and we got a little bit of a hiss at that point. I went, oh, okay, we've just got that in time. Let's pop yep. you back in your carry off. You go. And it was at that point the owner did say to me, oh, she does often do that at home. Um, and she will sometimes attack me. And she showed me her hand, which had a few scratch marks on it. You know. yeah. And I sort of said, oh, okay, when does that happen? She did say... When I'm patting him on my lap sometimes, yep. we do get to a point where it suddenly seems like we just turn on me, attack me. And I, and I thought, well, you need to know about the cat. The cat acronym. acronym. The yes. cat acronym. Yes. And, um, and so according to Dr. Finker, providing the cat with choice and control is key to ensuring they feel happy and comfortable during interactions. Mm. This includes gently offering a hand to the cat and letting it decide if it wants to interact or not. Now, I often go one further hand actually just offer a pointed finger yes and they'll often touch it with their nose and then yep. if they want to rub on it they'll they'll whisk they'll, up they'll, they'll then rub it along their um the the uh the pheromone section along their whiskers area yes yeah. um and usually they'll indicate they want to rub by, by rubbing your hand owners should allow the cat to move away if it chooses mm. and not be tempted to pick it up or follow it as this takes away the cat's sense of control yes control Great one to tell the kids too, especially my kids that want to chase Olive everywhere around that. You want a cat, Olive? Olive yeah. loves me. No, she's, yeah, she's hiding under she's that chair. She's talking. She's hiding under that chair because she wants control. <laughs> Leave her alone. People should also pay close attention to their cat's behavioural reactions. If they turn their head or move away during the interaction, their ears rotate, so rotate out to the side mm -hmm. or become flattened. They shake their head or lick their nose. The fur along their back appears to ripple, or mm. perhaps even stand up a little bit. Yes. Or their tail, yeah, their tail swishes rapidly. Then take these as signs the cat may need a little break from petting. Yes, and that's exactly what I told this lady about. You now I said focus just around the head. Yeah, look for these signs. Sometimes it's even dilated pupils we see as well, but yep. certainly change in ear rotation, the flicking of the tail, some very, very early signs. Similarly, if the cat goes a little still, stops purring or rubbing against you, suddenly starts grooming itself or sharply turns its head to face you. We've all had that sort of the cat that suddenly stares yes. at you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Get, gets right in your. Whoa. Yeah. Remember the acronym. Then, yes, then it's unlikely to welcome further stroking. And in terms of where cats like to be stroked, most friendly cats will prefer the base of their ears, mm -hmm. around their cheeks, and under their chin. Yes. And that's really an important one as well. If you've got a cat that, uh, that um, you know, loves lying down on the floor and showing their belly, they're not necessarily like a dog. No. Where they're saying, please pat my belly. Yep. Not many cats do that. The reason they lie down is showing that they're comfortable and 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 feel safe around you and they've yep. got control yes. see, around you yep. doesn't mean a doesn't mean attention. Well, they so don't no, want no. to be teed, touched, touched. At yes. Control. So when they're lying on that, something, if you want to pat them off of that finger to have a sniff of the nose, if they rub against it or just a little scratch behind the ears, definitely try that. Yes. But be prepared that a lot of cats just, uh, the reason they lie on their side is because they're comfortable around you, not yep. because they, they want to have a, have a pat. And chances are, if your cat's just walking in through the lounge room, just flops down and has a uh, a little lie down. If you're sitting somewhere else, if they wanted your attention, they probably yes. would have come to you. They would have well made said. that choice of yes. coming up to you there yes. to, to, to get some attention. To but get some you, A attention. To get some A, yeah. And some T 
touching. Just a little bit of tea. <laughs> a little bit of little bit of touching tonight. A little bit of touchy touchy. Avoid the tummy and the base of their tails and being careful to, when stroking along their backs is generally advisable, although each cat mm. will have individual preferences. Yes. So the key is to pay close attention to how each, each cat responds when they these areas are touched. Um, so they found that cats are much less likely to observe signs of discomfort or behave aggressively when people follow the CAT guidelines. Yes. Cats are less likely to hiss, swipe, at or appear anxious or frustrated during interactions with participants. Cats shook their heads, swish their tails and rotate or flatten their ears less and were less likely to rapidly groom themselves to freeze or adopt a crouch or tense posture. The same cats are also more likely to show friendly behaviours towards the participants and to appear more comfortable during the interactions that occurred post-training, the researchers found. Cats rubbing against participants and wave their tails more frequently. So that's probably more an up in the air yes. kind of waving of the tail um, and had had, uh, and had their ears held in a forwards or neutral position needed with their paws. Yes, so happy feet, making, happy feet. Making biscuits. Yes, yep. And also sniffed people for not longer. Ah, yeah, there you go. Uh, so the, um, the research is published in the journal's in the journal Frontiers in Veterinary Science, as we said, so go and check it out. Um, but really, really interesting. So when you're interacting with your cat at home, if you want a really nice relationship with them, remember the CAT acronym. And it's um it's funny when you say it. So the, the difference between even our two cats, so and we've had them for 14 years. Parker, he, especially when we're sitting here reading uh, stories with the kids at night, um, he'll come up and he'll just smash his face up against your hand until you start rubbing it. And he loves just getting a nice, a nice rub around that, um, around that nose and whiskers area. Yes, yes. Right. But then if you start then patting him down behind his ears, he'll actually walk. So you can leave your hand still and he'll walk along so that our hand runs along his back yep. and then curls the tail up around. Yep. And then and then you'll just leave your hand there and he'll just do that for 15 minutes of just yep. rubbing up and doing that. Yep. Whereas Melvin doesn't, you know, Melvin, he'll come up and he'll just have like a little bit of a smooch up around the face, but he's one of those sort of flop down on the tummy and, and yeah, touch his tummy at your peril. You know, his, yes. his, his, his nipple is his special place, Lewis. And, you know, there's no, it's, it's not there for teeing, you know. All, all 12 is nipples. All 12. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think Very special ones. All the, all the special ones. Yeah. He names them after the reindeers of Santa. Very nice. All righty. Excellent, guys. Look, uh, we haven't had a disclaimer. Should we have the disclaimer? Yeah, well, all advice on this show is generally in nature, so please consult your veterinarian before following advice for your pet. We do our best to provide the most up-to-date information. As veterinary medicine is advancing uh, and continually changing, please let us know if we missed anything or if you need any clarification. Um, yeah, yeah. We, well, I think I think that might be a bit, a bit of a wrap, mate. What do you reckon? We haven't, Absolutely. haven't got any, haven't got any uh, pressing questions this week. So, no. look, if you have got some questions, uh, go to two vet, uh, send an email to twovetstalkpets at gmail.com. Uh, go and find us. We are on Instagram, uh, twovetstalkpets. We're on Facebook as well. Um, I don't know. Are we on anywhere else? So Robbie's on Discord. Um, Discord. So That's Discord. a new one. I got no yeah. idea. No, is that, oh, is, that a, is that a disco one with the disco it's, dancing? Oh, it's for the gamers out there. That they oh, would know is what it? that means. Yeah, it's a big gamer chat, mate. Yeah. Oh, I'll get on there. Yeah. I'll, I'll go and I'll go and jump on there with Ruben while he's playing. Yeah, you know, a, 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 cod. A, while he's playing cod and uh, and that other one where they go Fortnite? around. Fortnite. 
Yeah, no. Uh, oh, Grand and, Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto. Yes, that Grand one. Those, Theft those Auto. fun games yes, for young yeah. boys to play. Yes, yeah. yeah the eight, eight years old. You can go there and tell his teacher, oh, "I'm playing Grand Theft Auto <laughs> Six with my daddy." So good. Daddy loves it, and he's on Discord as well. So find us there. Excellent. So, and uh, anyway, send us some questions. We do love getting some questions. Absolutely. All righty, guys. Scratch you later. Peace out, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to Two Vets Talk Pets with Lewis and Robbie. To chat further about this week's episode or ask the guys any questions, search Two Vets Talk Pets on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or send an email to Two Vets Talk Pets at gmail.com. You can find Lewis on Twitter with the handle at Vet Behaviorist. And more importantly, as the two pet heroes return to their day job of saving animals' lives, be sure to thank them with a five-star review on iTunes. Every time you do, a small, cute animal will receive a cuddle.